much. Good music, too. Hey, help me say thank you to everybody, will you? Listen, we got to talk to you. Come on, say thanks. That's a good thing. Some of my preacher friends make people clap while they're talking. But, uh, uh, but uh, listen, I just want to say thank you to our worship team, to our prayer team, to our people who work in hospitality, our greeters, uh, our cafe hospitality people that while you're in here, I'm seeing people hustle and refill coffee pots. And then the, um, the elite squad of apron-wearing, children-loving baby holders uh, in the back there. Uh, I can hear them contending for revival with children. Uh, and by that, I mean helping them not have a breakdown, some of them. And uh, I said, Lord, I don't know how to understand. I mean, I, did, I tried to do my part. I was laying hands on that door in the back of the nursery, praying over the babies that were not having a good day. I kept saying, peace, be still, but the storm was bigger than me. <laughs> yeah, I was working it, though. I was trying. I wanted to be faithful. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Not too bad. We're leaning into this book for at least two reasons. Because it opens up with, the, with this promise. Blessed are those who read and those who hear and those who heed these words. And we want to be blessed. Well, I want to be blessed. So I'm, we're going through it. And then we have this, this challenge. If you have ears to hear, listen to this for our, uh, as, a, as an encouragement and, and as a hermeneutic. If you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That means as we're reading this, we can and should believe the Holy Spirit is speaking presently to us, and we should listen. How many want to listen to him? Oh, we definitely should. We learned last week that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about him, that in this text, John the apostle uh, has a vision of the exalted Christ who has come with a message to the churches, and he sees Jesus standing among lampstands, which we are told are the churches. These are seven literal churches. Somebody said literal churches. Now, you might need to smile if this is depending on your long-term exposure to this text. These are seven literal churches. That means that these are not metaphors. The book of Revelation has all kinds of good metaphors for us, but these churches aren't. They're real. They're real places and real people. Now, just, that's, just, that's just saying that they, I'll just say it quickly and quietly and move on. They do not, they are not intended to represent different ages or seasons or epochs. They're, they're places. But, and, but what is awesome is that what is said to one of them is read by all of them. What is said to one is read by all. So, the, so then the blessing pronounced on all who hear and all, all who read and hear and heed them, that same blessing falls on everybody, which is, a good, which is good news. So just as they read and they hear and they keep these words, that's what we're going to do. But as we do, let's keep in mind not only the message, but the messenger. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the risen one. He is the ancient of days. He is the son of man. He is the exalted one. He has all dominion forever and ever. And he stands among the lampstands. He is among us, and he has something to say. So let's listen carefully. 
to what he has to say, to what he affirms, to what he affirms the church for, what he, what he, uh, and to what he, and to what he, what he celebrates, what he recognizes as good, and pay attention to what he does not. Pay attention to what he corrects. We will find that he has very little to say about our mission statements, about our vision statements. He has very little to say about our, about our organizational structure, but he'll have a lot to say about our love for him, about our perseverance and our faithfulness to him and to one another. So let's begin. We're going to read this in real time today. Open your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he has to say to the church at Ephesus, and that's what we're, that's what we'll, where we will begin. But let me just give you a heads up. I've summarized this as what I see the Lord saying to the church at Ephesus, and for all of us that have ears to hear, return to love. You might want to say it out loud with me. Return to love. Verse 1, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Ephesus would have been the, the major city, the larger city in this section. It probably was the, the, the city of origin for all the other churches. Probably would have probably would have come out of as a missionary endeavor or an overflow there. Uh, it was likely uh, that the, this was the home base, the mothership of these other uh, churches that we'll read about. It's to this. This is the, the church that it's written to, from the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. And the King James says, holdeth. Somebody say holdeth. He holdeth these seven stars. Remember, these stars represent the churches. They are representative of them. So what is said to these angels is said to the church. And so if he says he's holding them, that means he's holding you. That's the first thing we got to hear is Jesus is saying to you, I've got you. I've got you. Somebody say, he holds me fast. He's got you. This, is the, this, this, this verb means to grasp tightly. You, the church, are being held, grasped tightly onto by the hand of Jesus. You are being held onto and you are being held together by his own hand. From the one who walks among, walks among the seven golden lampstands. John repeats this, or Jesus is repeating who he is and reminding us that he is the one who walks among the lampstands. He chooses to be present with us. He values the church. And he walks among us. He is here. The king is in the room. And then he says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false and you have perseverance and you have endured. You know, if you have a pen and you want to underline or highlight things, you might, as a fun project as we go through this, kind of look for that word perseverance. And kind of underline it, or that word endurance. Or even adjacent phrases like not grow weary. And see just how many times we see that in this text to help us remember why it's written to us. 
He says, I, I, the first thing he says is, I've got you. But then he says, I know you. I see you. He's, he's speaking directly to this church. Can you imagine? I know it in a romantic, poetic way, we, we would all say, oh, we know Jesus sees us. But what if we got a direct message? Hey, Heritage, from the Lord, the risen Christ. Oh, try a little scary to even say it out loud. But, whew. and he said, I see you. You have my attention. We have said that he is near, that he is among us, but this is more than just being present. This is knowing us and seeing us. I see you. And then he says, I, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. Not only do I know you, I know what you do. I know what you are doing. Now, that, that, don't, that shouldn't be ominous this time, but right now, this is such a corrective. It's such, it's, it so helps our compass. Many times folks do things in church, and sometimes there's one of two extremes. Sometimes people do things in hopes that they will be seen by others. I typically do that on purpose because I think I'm funny. I will, I will do things, and people say, oh, look at you doing that. And I'll say, yes, only when people are watching. I was shoveling snow this morning out there before the 8.30 service, and someone said, oh, look at you, what you're doing, I'm so impressed. And I said, ha mission accomplished. And then the thing I was using broke. So there's that extreme, which I try to embody, doing things for attention. And then there's the other thing that happens, and we sometimes wonder if what we're doing matters because we don't think anyone sees or knows. But here's a corrective to both of those extremes. It, it, it doesn't matter how many are watching or if no one is watching because he is watching. He sees you. He knows what you're doing. He knows how hard you work at it. He knows your good and hopeful attitude while you're doing it. Jesus sees it, and he appreciates it. And then he says, he knows that the church at Ephesus has no tolerance for evil men. The church at Ephesus did not tolerate evil behavior in their midst. And Jesus saw that and commended them for it. And he says that he knows and appreciates that they test those who claim spiritual titles. False teachers, folks who claimed different offices of authority, they were probably examined against the testimony of Christ and against the Scriptures and using their own discernment. People can claim any title that they want, but it is up to the church. The church is responsible to test them. And Jesus sees that. And he appreciates it. But, verse 4, but I have this against you. Now, it's important that we hear this carefully. He doesn't say, this is, we should, we want to be with tender hearts. This is not, you know, I see these good things. But when he says, 
but I have this against you. He is not saying that he has forsaken us or stopped loving us. This is not, but I've changed my mind. I no longer, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> Jesus is not breaking up with Ephesus. <laughs> but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Whoa. First of all, before we apply this, let's try to understand it. Whatever the Lord means by this, it is, first of all, serious. It outweighs the things that he has commended them for. It is serious enough for him to require their immediate repentance. It is serious enough that he will remove their lampstand over it. He'll remove their lampstand. He will remove it. I shouldn't say their Hebrew. He will remove that lampstand. See, the church belongs to Him. We exist at and for His pleasure. This is good for us to pause and remember that Christ is no beggar. It is a privilege to be His lampstand. We are not doing Him a favor. The existence of the church hangs on one thing. The existence of the church hangs on one thing, not our strategy, not, not our vision, not our mission, not our organization, not our doctrinal perfections, but on our love. What is the complaint? You have left your first love. You have left your first love. The word is not lost or misplaced. So the verb here means abandoned, left behind, uh, deliberately chose other loves above this one. You have left your first love. First love, what does first love mean? What is Jesus talking about? Commentators aren't unanimous on this. You'll find probably three groups that, tend, that want to make their case. Uh, that first love means love for God. Others say, no, first love means our love for one another. Others say, no, first love means love for the lost. And probably people will want to use this to prove text whatever their favorite thing is. Probably. But what can first actually mean? First has to mean first. First can never mean second. Second place is first loser. What can first love actually be? What can first love only be? The scripture is unanimous that the first and greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And that is not to be dissected as to, well, I love him with my mind and not so much with my strength. That means love the Lord with everything you are and have is to be given to him in devotion. 
And yes, of course, we are to love one another as Christ loved the church. But if we make love for one another first, then we've made idols of one another. And of course, we are to love the lost, the unsaved, those who don't know Christ. We are to love them. But friends, to love anything or anyone more than Christ is to reduce him as less than Lord. And Dad, back in the day, Uncle Terry used to warn me about folks that want to skirt the first commandment in order to affirm the second. They want to maybe not want to emphasize that first one and kind of just be like more second commandment folk. But here's the problem. It is the first commandment that calibrates and keeps pure the second. If we abandon the first commandment, then what happens to the second commandment is it becomes corrupt and polluted and oppressive. Without taking a long time to try to explain it, what you get if you try to practice a second commandment life and you abandon the first is you get Marxism. You get a humanistic system of manipulation and corruption because it is uncalibrated my love for God. Our love for the Lord Jesus, our first love is our unequaled, fervent love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they had left theirs. What does that mean, they'd left it? How can they be doing right things but miss the one thing? Now, added to the list of things they're doing right, we read in verse 6, yet you do, yet this you do have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolotians, not the Nicolodians. Jesus doesn't like hate a certain, I'm sure he doesn't like, I'm sure Jesus does have certain channels he'd prefer us not to watch. But, but the Nicolaitans, these are, these are, this is a group of people that said it's no big deal. That licentious behavior is no big deal because we are spiritual people, so it doesn't matter how carnal we act. And the church at Ephesus hated that, and so said, Jesus said, by the way, I hate that too. Yes, you, you heard that right. Jesus hates sin. We're uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus not liking sin. You, we might, you might want to go somewhere else for the next year. We're going to hear him talk about some things. But even, friends, even being against sin or being against bad things isn't enough. It does not equate to loving most him who is utmost. Jesus is saying that without love for him being our first, greatest, highest motivation, that nothing else matters. Jesus has no interest in being locked or trapped into a loveless marriage. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth and the love of your betrothal. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if we have not love, then we are just a clanging 
cymbal or a noisy gong. Now, there's all kinds of shows, talent shows out today, right? They're, they have them in all the countries and all the things. And unfortunately, now they just have, they, they either get, you either get a white something or a red X, you know, and then a buzzer. But, but sometimes the buzzer is a good thing. Uh, if you get the right buzzer, you'll get a gold buzzer. So it's very confusing. But back in the day, there was a different show, and it wasn't confusing. It was the gong show. And what you did is you got up there and you did your thing. And if it wasn't passing muster, somebody would get up behind you, grab a great big stick, and hit that gong. Gong. And I'm so grateful that I got to see the gong show as a kid. Because it helps me understand exactly what Paul is saying. If you have not love, you're just a contestant on the gong show. You can be doing all of the things, but if, you're do, if we're doing it lovelessly or without Jesus Christ being our first love, you're a clanging cymbal or a resounding. But look how many people love the sound of my voice. Look at all the snow I have. Therefore, return to love. Would you say it out loud with me one more time? Return to love. What does that mean, return to love? What does it mean to return to our first love? What, is, what does a first love feel like or look like? Well, I suppose if you, I try to you know, kind of calculate a formula or whatever, but it's not complicated. And I think perhaps we are fortunate that we have an analog for this now. It's always looked the same. But right now, across the U.S., in college campuses, like, like a holy virus, students are gathering for worship and prayer. Arguably, we could say, as far as we're on record, it, this thing looks like it's once again sprung up at Asbury. And if you see pictures and in, you know, lots of social media and lots of people are talking about it, what you see now usually is this, is this chapel filled. You know, there's a thousand people in there. And we think, whoa, man, that's it. There's, there's, there's revival. That's it. You know, and, and they're not wrong. But here's how that thing started. It started with one chapel service. And what it looks like is about anywhere from nine to maybe 15 or so of all of the students, after they dismissed chapel about a dozen or so stayed. They just stayed. They just stayed. And there wasn't a special speaker. There wasn't a special thing going on. They just, they just came in worship and waiting. And then others heard about it. And they came. And the thing became a 24-hour prayer meeting. And people start coming from everywhere. People start getting on airplanes to come there. Big name musicians in the Christian music industry call and offer to come lead worship. And they say, no, thank you. <laughs> we don't need you to come get an album cover. <laughs> Can you imagine the Asbury album? <laughs> they would do it if they could. I'm not dissing them, but I guess I did. 
Sorry. It's just, it's, there's, there, it is a raw and real return to love. See, well, what's, it's, what's, it, what's, the, what's, what's the end? What's the, it's a means to what end? Love. Devotion to Jesus. See, and the, and the, it's the, it's the consequences, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but as I've, as I even was preparing these notes, I privately, and I continue to do so, groaned over the fact that even speaking along these lines, my own heart should be burning and bursting with the love of Christ, because everything flows from love. Everything flows from love. In John chapter 21, after Peter's denial, Peter comes to Jesus after, again, another miraculous catch, and he comes to Jesus and, and, and to be reinstated, to be reaffirmed, to be reinducted into the, this apostolic calling, Jesus has some questions for Peter. But the questions aren't, what, what can you do, or what have you done, or what is your resume, or he doesn't ask him about his skill level. He doesn't ask him to how bad he feels about the stuff. He asks him one question over and over again. Do you love me? But do you love me? Peter says, well, you know I do. He says, no, i got a question for you. Do you love me? Do you understand that this is it? It is your love for me that will define everything. It's, it's, the, it's your love for me that I require. It was lovelessness that led to that denial. It was love, it's lovelessness that leads to us choosing other things. Favorite pet sins fractures and, and was, how quickly we embrace uh, a disharmony or friction or, or fighting or contention or selfish ambition. All of those things are symptoms that you have a problem with love. You have lost that thing, but that first love will displace all that other stuff. It won't allow those things to exist. It won't allow those things to take over. Peter, do you love me? Because you're going to need to love me to walk through what you're going to walk through. Peter, do you love me? Because the only way that you're going to be able to feed my sheep is if you love me. Do you love me? In Luke chapter 7, there was a woman who wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and anointed his feet with perfume while the Pharisee was repulsed by such extravagance. Jesus commended her for her love. Matthew 26, Mary breaks open an alabaster box of expensive perfume and pours it over Jesus' head, and the fragrance of her devotion filled the house. Ooh, it's just, it's a metaphor, but it's good preaching. The fragrance of your devotion, the will spread. And Jesus actually said that what she did there, we remembered every time the gospel is preached. He doesn't ever explain that, but there's something about unhindered devotion to Jesus. Love is the fountainhead. Love is the, the catalyst. Love is the cause of heaven. Therefore, it must be the cause of the church. Or we cease to be the beloved and we settle for being employees. 
We love because we are first loved. He loved us first, and so we love. And friends, the only, the highest, the holiest, and the onlyest response to love is love. To respond to his love with, with a token or with an expression or a tip or, or, a, or a nod or a wink or just or punching your clock is, would be blasphemy. The only response to such magnificent love is our total, unhindered love. On a practical level, the church who loves Christ first burns brightly and brilliantly and purely. A church who loves Christ first is generous and sacrificial and tireless. Solomon said, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers can't overflow it. It is as strong as death. Paul wrote, love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, love never fails. He said in 2 Corinthians that the love of Christ compels him. Friends, no revival was ever characterized by a strategy or a program. No revival began even because people said to plan on having one. Listen, every revival, every spiritual renewal is an awakening to love and a forsaking of all loves but one. A church can be busy, a church can be tidy, a church can be clean, it can be correct, it can be prosperous or poor, but without love, it will become dead. There is no light as bright as love. There is no fire as warm, there is no lamp as radiant as love. Jonathan Edwards called this holy affections. Charles Finney called it Religious feeling. But Jesus just calls it love. And if ever we need to be overwhelmed and washed anew in the love of Christ, it is in this age, this age of such apathy and enmity, this age of, 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 of ego and animus, how we need the love of Christ. But beyond the benefit, it is necessary because Jesus will not accept anything other than a church who loves him first and most. Do we hear this? The first concern the first concern raised by our Lord is our love. How are they to respond? He says, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Remember, repent, and return. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent over what you have allowed to take place in your hearts and return. Do the things you did at first. Love is a choice. Love is a verb. 
Love is a gift of my will. I can choose to love. And he insists that we do. Do you feel that? Love is a gift of your will. And he will not force that. But the greatest thing you can do is give that to him. And if we do not, if they did not, he said, he'll remove the lampstand. The church will cease to exist. Either the church will just decline and decay, or, or Christ seems to indicate he'll withdraw the very spirit that gives them life. Unless the church returns to love. He who has an ear to hear, listen to what the spirit is saying. We love because we are loved. We love because we decide to and we must. For our own sake and for the sake of the one who loves us. And if we will, this is how the passage concludes. If we overcome, if we will love him and prioritize our love for him all the way to the finish line, then we will feast on eternal life in the presence of God. Revival is a return to love. I love you, Lord, and I lift my like to stand let's do that I love you Lord and I live my Let us gaze bravely into the magnificent eyes 
of a Savior who loves us so profoundly. And Lord, we give us grace to offer our hearts, the entirety of them, to you in full devotion, in first love. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. If you'd like to come and just do this, just take some time, find a spot to pray, to recalibrate, to wait on the Lord, you're welcome. It's better to do that toward the front. If you need to go, find your children, cafe time, whatever, please do that. God bless you. But if you'd like to just wait, the front's open.